0: I hope you received some notes when you came in and we're going to fill in some of those later on but I want you to pay attention as I try to introduce really the next section of Matthew chapter 5 and as we look tonight beginning in verse 21 but before we get there I want us to go back to some passages throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament as well so that we can understand that. What Jesus was talking about here was not just outward externals, but rather an inward heart change. Your outward life, what you do on the outside, is only superficial at best. And at worst, it's hypocrisy. We have boys and girls in here tonight. What's hypocrisy? That's saying one thing and doing something else. Often people through their behavior they're doing one thing but inside they have a very different motive. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 especially the passage we're going to look at tonight verse 21 to 26 he puts our attitude on trial. So we're going to put our attitude on trial tonight and see how we do because your attitude matters. Jesus teaches us that here in Matthew chapter 5 but I want you to go back with me to some Old Testament passages. I'll put them up on the screen, and maybe you want to write these verses down in the blank space there in your notes. The first one we want to look at is 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 39. 1 Kings 8, 39. This is King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. He's writing, and he says, Then hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place, and forgive, and do, and give according to every man his ways." Whose heart thou knowest. Who knows your heart? Do I know your heart? No. Who does? God does. Whose heart thou knowest? For thou, even thou only, you God, you know the heart of all the children of men. Doesn't matter whether you're young or old, doesn't matter whether you're really, really smart or just average intelligence. It doesn't matter whether you're big or small. God sees your heart. God knows what is inside of your heart. He knows the heart of all the children of men. King David, who was Solomon's father, he wrote or he said to Solomon in his last words to Solomon in 1 Chronicles 28 verse 9. That's the next verse I want you to look at. 1 Chronicles 28 9. He said, and thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. And in my Bible, I underline this next phrase. It says, for the Lord searcheth all hearts. God knows what is in your heart. And he understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. There's an Old Testament prophet by the name of Hanani. And he reminded King Asa, one of the kings back in the Old Testament, in 2 Chronicles 16.9. He reminded him of this. He says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout all the earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein thou hast done foolishly, therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars. Maybe kids, you've heard from your teacher at school, or maybe from your grandmother, she says, I have eyes in the back of my head. I remember as a student sitting in class and misbehaving when my mom was my teacher and she knew What I was doing wrong, and I got in more trouble the year my mom was my teacher at school than in all the rest of my years combined. Why do you think that is? Because my mom knew me pretty well. But you know who knows you better than your mom? God does. The scripture here says the eyes of the Lord are looking to and fro throughout the whole earth. I just taught on this verse in Proverbs 16, too, a few days ago in our daily devotional that we do online through Facebook, or you can download the podcast at The Pursuit of Christ. But in Proverbs 16, verse 2, it says, All the ways of man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the Spirit. Yes, you might have the justification for why you do what you do. Well, but you don't understand. This is what they said. This is what they did. That's why I did this. Uh, Yes, your ways may be clean in your own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. We're putting our attitudes on trial tonight. God cares about your heart. You see, God is concerned about what you're like on the inside. Being good on the outside only matters when it honestly represents what's going on on the inside in Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 10 we have a Jeremiah here tonight not not the same Jeremiah in the Bible but the prophet Jeremiah in the Bible was talking with God and God said to Jeremiah I the Lord searcheth the heart I try the reins even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings God looks at your heart. God cares about your attitude. Even in the book of Revelation, clear at the end of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 23, God reminded the church at Thyatira that He said, I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am He which searcheth the reins and hearts. And I will give unto you everyone according to your word. See, all I can see is what you do, but God can see what you think. God can see not just what you think. He can see what your motivations are. He can see your attitude. Now, that's one thing if you have small children. You understand they're not very good at hiding their attitude. comes out in temper tantrums and fits and wild emotional outbursts. But, hey, grown up. You may have gotten better at hiding your attitude, but that doesn't mean that your attitude no longer matters. Our attitude on trial, our attitude matters. It's not just your outward action. It's the inward heart. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, it says, For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified... But he that judgeth me is the Lord. I've heard people say, you can't judge me. Only God can judge me. Well, that may be true, but be careful. Because God is your judge. He sees exactly, not just what you're doing, He sees what you're thinking. He sees what your attitude is like. You might have everybody fooled, but you can't fool God, he says, therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness. You know, have you ever been in a a restaurant that has kind of that darker, dim lighting, you know, to make things really nice? I've always thought, I hope if somebody turned the lights on bright, that it would still look clean in the corners. You know, if they, I wonder if they clean the restaurant with the lights down low or if they turn it up to be able to see what's there. I hope that they turn it up bright so that they can see the dirt in the corners and the, you know, the French fries that rolled under the table. Why? Because when it's dark, you can't see what's there. The Bible says, though, that God will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and He will make manifest or evident, visible, the counsels of the hearts. And then He says, every man shall have praise of God. Here in Matthew chapter 5, and we're getting there. I know the introduction's long tonight, but in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is not modifying the law of Moses. He's not changing the Old Testament rules. Some people would like to say that about Jesus Jesus threw out the Old Testament. No, Jesus doesn't throw out the Old Testament. He's not modifying the Old Testament, rather, he's in firm agreement with the Old Testament. It was Jesus pointing out that the Jewish traditions had missed the point of the Old Testament law. That's what's going on in Matthew chapter 5 at the beginning. Let me point this out to you from Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus said it himself Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. We looked at that several weeks ago. And can you imagine in the audience, just like tonight, there's all kinds of different people here tonight. There's young people. There's more older people. There are people who have driven a short distance and people that have driven a long distance. People that have been here a few times, people who it's, they're here for their first time. There's all kinds of different people here with different educational backgrounds, different jobs and economic levels, and people that have different languages that you speak, and all kinds of things that make us different. And the same was true in the audience that Jesus was speaking to when He preached this message, the Sermon on the Mount. There was a certain group of people in that audience known as the scribes and Pharisees. These were religious leaders of that day, people who prided themselves on their ability to keep the law. Now, the Old Testament law, while there are many different laws given in the Old Testament, they really can be summed up in the Ten Commandments that God gave to the children of Israel when He gave them to Moses at Mount Sinai. Do you know the Ten Commandments? Let's see if we can say them together. All right, I'll help you out. Because I've found a lot of Christians don't know the Ten Commandments. So the first one is this, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Let's say it together. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Very good. Number two, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. When I do the two, I think of scissors and cutting something out, like making something. All right. So one God, no other gods before me. Two, not make unto thee any graven image. The third commandment. This Reminds me of a W, which is not about my first name, William, but rather your words matter. Thou should not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Don't take God's name in vain. The fourth commandment is this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's the fourth commandment. Fifth commandment. Boys and girls, you got to know this one by heart. The Bible says, honor thy father and thy mother. The fifth commandment, sort of like you're taking a pledge. Honor thy father and thy mother. The Sixth Commandment, this is the easiest one to remember. Thou shalt not kill. Sixth Commandment, okay? The Seventh Commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. It's like a man and woman coming down the aisle to be married. The Seventh Commandment. The Eighth Commandment, thou shalt not steal. This is how I remember if you steal, you can go to jail. It's like the jail bars here. So thou shalt not steal. The Ninth Commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. It's like this guy whispering to these folks something about this guy over here. So don't bear false witness. And the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet. Gimme, 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 right? Ten, covet. Ten fingers, don't covet. Thou shalt not covet. These are the 10 commandments. Hey, you can tell I used to just teach boys and girls all the time. So, But I find that it helps parents to remember it too because after I got done teaching this to boys and girls, they'd go home and teach their mom and dad what the 10 commandments were in that. Kind of was shocking to parents when they didn't even really know the Ten Commandments. But Jesus here deals in verse 21 in Matthew chapter 5 with commandment number 6. What was it? Thou shalt not, thou shalt not kill. Okay. So what does he say in verse 21? Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time thou shalt not kill whatsoever ye shall, or or whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Now, we're not going to cover it all tonight, but over the next few weeks, Jesus has a bunch of these statements where he's going to say, you heard this in the old times, and he's going to give us a commandment. He's going to give us something that everybody knew to be true. And then Jesus is going to take that commandment and explain it, and it's going to show how their tradition, their outward appearance, keeping the law outwardly was not what the law was talking about. Rather, it's dealing with the inward issues of the heart. So when he tells us here in verse 21, you've heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. Then look at verse 22. Jesus says, but I say unto you, Notice here, this is not Jesus changing the law, okay? It's not him modifying it or tweaking it. Rather, this is Jesus explaining it to help them understand the law was not just about what you did. It's about who you were on the inside. It's like the little boy who his mom said, sit down. And he said, no. And he stood up and she said, sit down. And he said, no. And he stood up and she said, sit down. And he sat down. And then he said, Mom, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. See, that's not what God wants from us. He wants our attitude, our heart to be right. So Jesus is explaining this. He says in verse 22, But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother... Without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Wow. Verse 23 says, Therefore if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, Thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. What is Jesus talking about? What is He trying to help us understand? Well, He's teaching that the scribes and Pharisees had elevated their traditions above the Word of God. And this has happened throughout the generations as people, sometimes even well-meaning people, will take the Word of God They'll start living it out, and then they'll start writing down how to live it out. And in time, people are taught to live like what someone said instead of going back to the Word of God and obeying what the Word of God says. It's what happened over the centuries as the the Catholic Church walked away from God. Why? Because they began to take their teachings and what they said about the church and put it into books and put it into their history, and they began to elevate that alongside the Word of God. And you say, well, how did that work out? Well, things like not allowing the Word of God to be translated into a language that everybody could read. Because if only a certain group of people can read and understand the Word of God, then now the Word of God becomes something that's exclusive and something that only special people can read and explain. This happened to the Jews in the Old Testament. God gave them the law, but over time it began, they began to write down their traditions and they collected it all into something that the Jews still use today called the Talmud. This was a collection of these, of these teachings of the various scribes and Pharisees and priests over the years. And it became collected in a book and they would spend a lot of time studying the Talmud so much that they forgot to even study the Word of God itself of sound similar to what a lot of people will do today. Even many so-called Christians don't spend much time in the Word of God. You might read a devotional here or there, might listen to something here to here, read a nice inspirational book, and those can all be helpful things. But we always have to go back to the Word of God. We have to study the Word of God for ourselves. We got a lot of boys and girls in here tonight. Boys and girls, that's why we want you to learn and study and memorize the Word of God. You see, when people are taken away from the Word of God and their personal study of its pages, they quickly fall into traditionalism and error. It's easy to live by tradition. All you have to do is do what someone else told you to do. Well, this is what I've always heard. I talk to people all the time about that. I was talking with somebody today about that very thing. Well, I've always known this to be true. Well, how? is how I was taught growing up. Well, great. Is that what the Bible teaches? I think so. Well, do you know? Well, not really. I trust the person that told it to me. Listen, I'm not trying to belittle anything you were taught growing up. What I'm saying is, If you want to be right with God, you need to make sure that what you were taught growing up actually lines up with what the Word of God teaches. What you were taught growing up may be wonderful, may be absolutely true. But I don't want to have to stand before God someday and say, God, well, I I just did what I was taught growing up. I want to be able to stand before God and say, Lord, I tried to be faithful to what your Word said. I studied to show myself approved to you. That's why when Jesus came on the scene and He began to teach the Word of God, the Bible tells us that the people came ready to listen because He taught as one having authority and not as the scribes. Why did the scribes and Pharisees not have any authority? Because they were just teaching tradition. Why did Jesus have authority? Because He was speaking the very words of God. See, Jesus insisted that tradition and Scripture were in conflict and that inward righteousness, not outward form, is the central and necessary characteristic of a right relationship with God. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, He deals with a sin that if you were a Pharisee, if you were a scribe, you would have never committed this sin, the sin of murder. Even here tonight, we'd say, well, none of us has ever murdered anybody. I've even heard people say that. Well, I'm not that bad. It's not like I've ever murdered somebody. So Jesus deals with, it's interesting that He deals with this one first, because I think He's pointing out to these Pharisees something very important. I hope that you'll listen tonight because I think it's important for us as well. You see, murder, this thing that he talks about, it is very common in our world today, is it not? Did you know in the United States over 25,000 murders occur every year? But you don't hear about it that much because it's become so commonplace. Unless it's multiple people being killed at the same time or it's a really bizarre situation or it's some famous person that's killed. Otherwise, it barely makes the local news, it seems. That's not even adding in the suicide. That's not adding in abortion. If we were to add those numbers in, it would just be absolutely staggering. But this is the first sin that Jesus deals with. Did you know, I think it's also interesting to note, this sin that Jesus deals with first is also the first sin that was recorded in the Bible. Remember when Cain murdered his brother Abel? As I was studying for this I came across this verse in John chapter 8 verse 44 it's very interesting it says ye are of your father the devil and the lusts of your father ye will do he the devil was a murderer from the beginning it's interesting what was what was Satan's sin of murder who did he kill well in Scripture from the beginning, we can't read any record of Satan physically killing someone or something, but did Jesus, or did Satan want to exalt himself to be like Jesus, to be like God? He did. Did Satan have pride in his heart? Was he perhaps angry towards God and God cast him out of heaven? Was Satan, in a sense, thinking about trying to conquer God? Just an interesting thought to think about. Scripture says that he was a murderer from the beginning. Now, some people will say, well, this sin of of murder, it's, it can't, people don't mean it when they do it, or somebody can't be held responsible for their own sin. We see that in our world today, right? People try to plead all kinds of different reasons for why it wasn't their fault. But Jesus said in Matthew 15, 19, For out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. You see, you don't sin just because of Satan, because of the way you grew up, because of a difficult situation that you find yourself in, or you're just stressed out and you couldn't help it. You sin because you choose to sin. You choose to sin. In fact, the Bible says in Romans 1 and verse 28 to 31, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of all things, disobedient to parents. He threw that one in there. Without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. See, sin is not because the devil made you do it. It's because you chose to sin out of your own heart. I have chosen to sin for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. So that's our introduction. Let's look at verses 21 and 22 of Matthew chapter 5. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. Whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whosoever shall say to his brother, Raca shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire." I would say it this way. Number one, no one is innocent of murder. i say, I've never murdered anybody. I've never committed murder. But what Jesus is pointing out here, it's not just about the physical act. It's about your attitude. Remember, it's our attitude on trial. See, most people would say, well, The anger that I have towards somebody else, that's not really that bad of a sin, right? As long as you don't act on that anger, the anger isn't wrong, right? Wrong. (laughs) It is wrong. Now, what do you mean? You're calling me a murderer? Well, he says, look back at our text, whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. I think, if you're honest, you'd have to say, there's been at least some time in my life where I was angry with my brother or my sister or some other person and I shouldn't have been angry with them. It was not the right cause. Mm. Think about it. You see, any anger that's not righteous angry, anger, what's righteous anger? Being angry at the things that make God angry. Any anger that's not righteous anger is sin. It's wrong. Any anger against a brother because they've wronged you or because they irritate you or because they've displeased you, any of that anger, it's wrong. It's sin. And Jesus puts it right up there and he says, if you've even had this anger in your heart, then you have committed why is he taking such a strong approach? Well, think of it this way, right? Because we hear certain sins, and certain ones just really repulse us. They're really bad, right? Really horrible things, and I wouldn't want to be guilty of that. Why? Because we like to think better of ourselves than we actually should. mean, I read a story today about a man who had murdered many people, and they, the police were coming to get him, and he, was, he had this big, awful gun battle trying to keep them from getting... When they finally got in and got to his body, he was dead by that point. He had a note in his pocket that said, I didn't mean to do it. I'm really a nice person. What do you mean? Why? Because all of us want to think better of ourselves than we actually should. And Jesus, he's putting it out there in really stark contrast. He's making it really clear. Hey, if you even deal with anger... Don't think like you're okay. Well, I'm not that bad. I've never killed anybody. That's what the Pharisees said. Well, of course, I've never done anything that terrible. He says, if you've been in anger in your heart, you deserve judgment. You deserve judgment. That's number two. Everyone deserves the judgment of a murderer. And he gives us three different examples of this. Number one, we see that Anger deserves the judgment of the court. That's what he says here in verse 22. Whosoever is angry with with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. In those days, that'd be like to be brought before court and sentenced for your crime. Then he builds on that. That, That's just kind of a general statement. Then he says, if you are angry and you call your brother or you say to your brother, Raka, you're in danger of the council. This wasn't just the court, this is like the Supreme Court. This means going before the Sanhedrin, the 70, and they could pronounce death upon somebody. They could condemn someone to death to be stoned for death. This is what was going on in their day. say, what does raka mean? Well, this is not a word that even really translates into English. It's an Aramaic word that was just a word used to slander somebody else. It'd be like you walking along and be like, you're ugly making fun of somebody for what they look like, making fun of somebody for what they sound like, making fun of somebody. Because think about this. If you slander somebody else, if you call them a name, what are you doing? You're speaking against someone who's been created in God's image. Ever thought about that? Boy, this really goes against all the horrible racist things that get done in our world, doesn't it? So, well, I just... They're dumb, stupid. Oh, you're fat, you're ugly, I don't like you. That's what this is talking about. Oh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. This isn't that big of a deal. According to Jesus, it is. Man, Jesus doesn't mess around, does he? He goes right to the top. You're guilty of murder? even if you were to slander somebody else, just call them a name? And then he gives us a third example. The end of verse 22, he says, And but whosoever shall say, Thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Not only to slander somebody, what they look like, but rather to condemn their character. Speaking out against somebody's Character. He says, You deserve to go straight to hell. He says, call someone a fool is the same as cursing them. And in the eyes of the Lord, murdering them. And to be guilty of that sin is to be worthy of the eternal punishment. Man. Jesus is preaching a strong message, isn't it, here in Matthew chapter 5. This would have grabbed the attention of those Pharisees and scribes, those Jewish folks who are living by tradition and feeling pretty good about themselves because I've never killed anybody. And Jesus says, but the law isn't just talking about the physical action. It's talking about even the anger in your heart. I want you to see a couple things. He talks about how this anger affects us, how your attitude affects, first of all, your worship. You see, Anger will affect your worship of God. Notice in verse 23, he says, Therefore, if if thou bring thy gift to the altar, so if you're coming into the temple to worship God, and you remember that your brother has something against you. So this is like that you actually haven't even done anything wrong, right? This is you. You're coming in to worship God. I'm coming to do what Jesus wants me to do. I haven't done anything wrong, but somebody's mad at me for something. What does he say you're supposed to do? Look at the next verse. It says, leave your gift before the altar and go your way and first be reconciled to your brother and then offer thy gift. It's Pretty interesting, right? If there's anger, whether it's you towards somebody else or someone towards you, God's saying, you need to deal with this right away in fact even before you come to worship God you should deal with this issue if there's something between you and your brother you need to deal with it or it will affect your ability to worship God is it any wonder then why so many believers struggle to come together and actually worship God like they should my friends Jesus is really serious about this we need to deal with our heart our attitudes matter In other words, he's saying, just showing up for church isn't good enough. Your attitude matters. Your attitude matters. Oh, we can get caught up in this kind of stuff, can't we? Well, I'm okay at least. I go to church. I was talking with somebody today about this. I said, you know, we feel good about ourselves. I went to church. Come on, what more does he want from me? I'll tell you what he wants. He wants your heart he wants your heart not just the outward show he wants your heart he wants all of you and he deserves it I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present therefore your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service God wants all of us he wants your heart And he wants it so much that he says, before you even come and worship God, before you come and worship me and sing praise, go and deal with whatever's between you and your brother first. Wow. This says that that means that whatever's in my heart between me and my brother is going to affect my relationship with God. You can't have a right relationship with God when you're allowing anger in your heart towards somebody else. It just cannot be done. The Scripture speaks about anger left in our, our life over time. It turns into bitterness. It's like a root that gets down deep and it it destroys everything. Your anger will affect your worship of God. Let me give you one more and we'll be done. Your anger will also affect your relationship with others. Yeah. Your relationship with others. Look at verse 25 and 26. He says, agree with thine adversary quickly. You've done something wrong and somebody's accused you of it. He says, get it worked out. And he tells him how quickly. Whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge and the judge deliver thee to the officer and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto you, Thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. So he uses an illustration here of someone who owes a debt. In those days, if you owed somebody a debt, let's say Micah owed me some money, and I came to him, I said, Micah, you owe me some money. And Micah says, Well, I'm not gonna pay. Refusing to pay. Then I could grab him by his ear or his arm and take him to the judge. And say, he owes me this debt. See, here's where he signed, saying he would pay, and he hasn't paid. And the judge could throw him in debtor's prison. And until he paid off that debt, he had to stay in jail. Now, I think about that. If we think about that today, well, Oh, that'd be awful. How are you supposed to pay off a debt when you're in prison? Well, then it become the family's response everybody else. And if nobody cared enough about that guy, he'd spend the rest of his life in prison because he couldn't pay off the debt. That he owed. And that's the picture that Jesus uses here. So he's saying, if somebody has something, if you've wronged somebody and somebody comes to you and is trying to work it out, he said, you ought to make it right right away. Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't put yourself in a position where you cannot repay, where you cannot deal with the problem. Deal with it right now. Some people will say, well, I'll deal with my anger later. I'll deal with this issue at another time. I'll try to make amends later. No, the time for reconciliation is right now. The time for reconciliation is right now. Let not the sun, right, go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Now, when I was reading all this and studying all this, I thought, oh, this is rough to go through all this Three days before Christmas. So what are we supposed to do with what Jesus is teaching us here? Well, I think if you're feeling that way, it might be very much the same way that Jesus' audience felt clear back here when He was preaching there at the Sermon on the Mount. See, Jesus is not teaching this to try to make it harder for you Please God. Jesus was trying to point out the truth, and this is what I want you to see tonight that it's not hard to serve God, it's impossible to serve God. It's impossible to please God on your own. Jesus is trying to point out you can't keep the law well enough to please God, it's impossible to please God in your own strength. And so where does that leave us? We need help. We need help. And our help is found in Jesus Christ. The one who came to be the payment, the propitiation for our sin. The one who came and died in your place to pay for your sins so you don't have to because... You can't do it on your own. So, at the end of tonight, I don't want you to go away feeling lost, like I don't know what to do now because I thought I was doing pretty well, but clearly I still have some issues to work on. I want you to leave from here hopeful, saying, I really can't do it on my own. You've been trying to do something that you cannot do. And instead, leave here tonight saying, I realize. I'm going to stop trying to do it in my own strength and ask God to forgive me and ask for the Holy Spirit to strengthen me and ask for God's leading to live how He wants me Amen. to live. I think at Christmas time, it'd be a great time as we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to come to a place for you to come to a place in your life and realize, I can't do it on my own. It's impossible. And I need Jesus, as we sang tonight, Emmanuel, God with us. Hey, boys and girls, when you're at home, you know what? It's impossible to always have a good attitude, isn't it? Sometimes your sister is just, and you are just feeling grumpy and hungry, and you haven't been able to open your presents yet and you just can't control your attitude. Now, it doesn't make it right, because you have a choice, right? Maybe mom, dad, you're just wanting some peace and quiet because all the kids want to do is run around and mess things up, and you're trying to make this really nice Christmas. We're trying to have nice traditions to enjoy, and everybody should just be happy. And instead, they're all running around doing other things, and you say, you know what? Why do I even try to make this so nice and happy? Because nobody else seems to care about this except me. And mom or dad, you're struggling with your attitude. Guess what? You're human. We're all human. We struggle. It's not an excuse, but it's the reality of who we are. And So many times we just say, well, I'm just going to try harder and do better next time. But you can't try hard enough to always have a good attitude. You can't try hard enough to always be pleasing to God because you're a sinner. So you can either say, well, I'll give up and live however I want to live. Or you can say, you know what? I need a redeemer. I need a savior. I need Jesus. And you may be here tonight if you've never trusted in Jesus. I want to invite you to call out to him. I'm not enough. God, forgive me. Jesus saved me. I want to follow you and he will do it. But Christian, you may be here tonight saying, I have trusted in Jesus. Then I want to just leave you with this. Then you need to continue to trust in Him every single day for the strength and the help and the direction to be able to live how He wants you to live. The answer is not try harder and be a better person. The answer is trust in Jesus. That bar is so high. As Romans says, We've all come short of the glory of God. And short means short. You, you can't reach on your own. That's why you need Jesus. So don't leave tonight discouraged. Don't leave tonight thinking, well, Jesus is really mean. Man, that pastor, what is he talking about? Calling me a murderer on the week of Christmas? No. Just leave from here saying, man, I'm a great sinner, but I'm so thankful that I serve a great Savior. Paul called himself the chief of sinners. He knew who he was. He knew where he came from. When he wrote to the church at Corinth, he said, and such were some of you. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget what God saved you from. And you're not a good person because now you've just figured out how to do everything right. No. You're still a sinner. But if you have Jesus, you now can be a sinner saved by grace. Only a sinner saved by grace. What a blessing it is to know Jesus Christ. And I hope that over these next couple of days, you'll thank Him once again for coming to this earth, for living and dying and rising again so that you can have eternal life. And I hope that you'll take time to get to know Him better. Yes, you want to live to serve Him, but it's not because that's how to gain favor with Him. It's because... You love him and you're so thankful for what he's done for you. You can't attain unto the righteousness it's by, by yourself. Self-righteousness is not enough. You need the righteousness of Jesus Christ given to you. Let's trust in him. Let's praise him. And I'll close in prayer and then let's take time to divide up and pray and talk to him and give our burdens to him tonight. Would you do that with me? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that we are not enough. As we look at this bar that Jesus has set, even with just the area of murder and we haven't even gotten into the other ones yet, we realize how far short we fall. We need Jesus every single day of our lives. We love you. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you that we can celebrate him this week and Lord, I pray that we would focus on Him every day and every week and rejoice in His goodness to us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.